The following podcast has adult themes, sexual content, and strong language, mostly because I have a potty mouth. Hi, I'm Adam, and this is Where Is My Nigerian Prince. Each week, I tell the tale of my search for love, the highs, the lows, the utter embarrassments, and the hopefully funny side of single life today. I also intend to rope in some friends to tell their stories along the way, and maybe together we can soothe the dating wounds of the entire world. Episode 7, My White Picket Prince. Before I jump into the story, I just want to acknowledge and apologise for something. The wind in the background. I live in the famously windy city Wellington, who lately seems to love putting on a show of his blustering capabilities every time I'm recording. Which makes sense considering with podcasts there are no pictures to show off where I could show you the amazing whale that has been playing in our harbour for a few days, or the views from my window and crystal skies of the often glorious winter days. But that is why I figure Wellington must be a man, always trying to show off to get attention. I love him, but sometimes he just needs to calm down. Anyway, so back to this week's story. Jumping around in time, this all gets a bit confusing, I guess, but this week we're going to visit the time between living in Sydney and going to China, which was when I finally began to properly shake off the effects of the following story. I had recently started working for one of the biggest banks in New Zealand, and in general I really liked my job. I'm great at customer service and I'm good with numbers, so I took to being a teller and then a service rep like a duck to water. I'd made some lovely new friends and I was performing very well, but I was still single and I felt lonely. So much happened during these years that I'm honestly struggling to keep the events straight in my mind. I had started out working for KFC, then had gotten the job with the bank. I had shared two different houses with friends, played for the national gay rugby team, and I really did have a great time of life. But loneliness haunted me, as did fear of not being wanted, and ultimately dying alone. During these years, the internet had moved from its confusing infancy, where most people didn't get what it was for, to its early childhood, where more and more people were starting to realise just how amazing it could grow up to be. And I was there. From the early days when just having an email address was thrilling and chatting to random strangers in chat rooms was exciting, to the now more organised world where people who were similar began to come together. And it was here in a gay chat room that I met my dream man. I'm not going to give my dream man a name though. Because for some reason, anything but his real one doesn't seem to work in my head. So for now, my dream man is MDM. MDM and I began talking about everything. Our lives, our dreams, our families. He was a student living about five hours drive away in his final year of university, who planned to move to my city after he graduated because his family lived in Auckland too. Over the months, we got very close, sharing pictures and talking on the phone. I was already in love with him, and he professed the same of me. And as we got closer to the day we would finally meet, we began to make plans to be together. That Christmas came, and I flew to see my sister, who at the time was in Hawaii, where I had one of the most memorable Christmases of my life, all the while talking to MDM whenever I could. And when I returned, I moved in with a friend of mine from work, because she had a spare room and I planned in a few months to move in with MDM, so I wanted to wait until he was with me before renting something more permanent. 
Time slowed down now as the days and weeks passed by and we continued to talk and share our dreams of life together. I had doubts and fears and we agreed that when we met, if things were right, we would be honest and try to become friends. But we talked of our romance far more and abandoned most wise caution. When the day finally came, I thought nothing of renting a ute, otherwise known as a pickup truck for listeners outside New Zealand. I also rented a trailer and made my way down to Palmerston North to meet MDM. When I finally made it, it was dark, and he rushed out onto the street, opened my driver's doors, and kissed me passionately. It was everything I hoped for. We clicked. Everything was right, and in person, our chemistry was amazing. I loved MDM madly, and he loved me the same. It was not long before we were in bed making love too, passionately. I'm talking some of the best sex of my life to that date. And we slept deeply and closely cuddled in that cold autumn night. The next day, MDM and I packed up the last of his things that he hadn't already packed, and then we put them onto the ute and the trailer, covered them with tarps and tying them down before having breakfast and hitting the road. We were on a high. All the work was easy. All the talk just flowed. We held hands as and when we could, and before we were even halfway, we found ourselves stopping at a scenic walkway to rush into the bushes and do naughty things to each other. Gosh, I remember that time through my smile on my face and a rose-coloured glasses, mostly because I prefer to remember it that way. There isn't a lot of point letting my later bitterness twist the memory of those good times, though it's possibly fairly obvious that I was likely being used. When we got to Auckland, I was soon showing MDM the little townhouse that I'd found, and we decided it was the right one to rent and move into. I paid the bond and the rent and was happy to do so while MDM looked for work. We quickly unpacked and made the place our home. We had wonderful times together, and I just assumed I had finally found my Mr. Forever. I met his family, and although they weren't very comfortable with all this gay stuff, it was fine. And he met my family, who embraced him, and my mother admitted she was so happy to know that I wasn't alone anymore. Every day I would head out to work and leave MDM to his job hunting. And not once did I question that he was actually trying, or that his dreams matched mine, because he never let me know otherwise. The only issue I knew we had was that he loved coffee and I hated it, and didn't like to kiss him when he had coffee breath. <laughs> but that's nothing, right? Most weekends we would go out and do something together, and have a fun time. We would go to parties with gay friends, and I would proudly introduce MDM to them all. And I guess everything was coming up roses. Except that he still didn't have a job, and I was expecting him to help with the rent one day. Then one day I was at work, and there was nothing special about the day, but it had been a good one, and I was happy, I do remember that. When lunchtime came around, I headed upstairs to the break room and I got my phone out of my bag. In those days, you didn't dare keep your phone on you during work hours. I quickly saw a text message from MDM, and I excitedly opened it. Dear Adam, it said, a strange opening, I thought. When you get home, I won't be here anymore. I'm sorry. Goodbye. It took some seconds to sink in, to click through the calculations in my mind, and as I did, my legs crumpled and I fell into the seat that was luckily right there. I remember that as tears began to fall, my friend Tanya was quick to my side to ask if I was okay, and I held out the phone in my hands so she could read the text. When she realised its meaning... Her response was anger, as much as mine was to implode, losing all control of myself. 
Before long, my boss was sending me home because I was in no state to serve the customers, and I drove home in the pouring rain with my tears further fogging the view, and my heart crying out that this was all some kind of nightmare. When I got there, I found all of the MDM's things were gone. Clearly his family had helped him run from me. I'm sure they were glad to. And there on the keyboard of my computer was a long letter that I read. And all it did was inspired me to rage. Before long, I was leaving messages telling him he owed me money. And I am sure they were extremely spiteful. And the letter was destroyed. I cried to my mother on the phone, which given her inability to handle emotion only made her seem heartless as she tried her best. I dragged my bed and bedding out of storage and put my bed together. We had shared his bed for those wonderful months. Then I got some fast food and I began to shut down. All that kept me going after this time was Star Trek and bad food. I wanted to taste comfort. I wanted to live in a world where people weren't assholes anymore, where humanity was better than that, where MDM never happened. When I was alone, I was watching Trek, because when I wasn't distracted, I was broken, alone, and sure to die that way. When I healed enough that I needed to understand what had gone wrong and why MDM had left, I reached out to him and asked him to explain, but he refused any chance to meet. I guess because he thought he had explained it to me in the letter that I couldn't remember and I had destroyed. MDM had left me in the deepest depression of my life since John, and although I never went so far as to being suicidal, it would take me more than a decade to break out of the feelings of worthlessness and that I would be alone forever. With hindsight, I now know that I didn't really break away from those feelings until I was 40. And in those years, I had accepted Chinese boyfriends I didn't love. I had obsessively loved someone who would never love me. And I had accepted a relationship that was never right from the beginning. Until I finally realized I had depression, the illness. And that when properly medicated, the decisions I could make were so very different. And the things that were important were different too. That's when everything changed. But there is so much to tell and so many other stories before I tackle the biggest relationship of my life. This has been a production of Adam Wright. I hold the copyright to this material. A huge thanks to my talented niece Grace Beard for turning my poorly written music into the theme song of Where's My Nigerian Prince. Next week I'll be back with episode 8 with my first guest star ever. Someone who knew me when episodes 1 and 2 happened and someone with his own stories to tell. Meanwhile, please send any feedback or comments or requests to Where's My Nigerian Prince on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Gmail, and at Where'sMyNigerianPrince.com. Please spread the word. Oh, and don't forget the most important thing. Love yourself. <laughs>